Welcome to the Lojo Show. It's all right. I'll get better at it. Should I just say it? There is no monopoly on good ideas when it comes to cybersecurity. Welcome to the Lojo Show. I am your host, Loverture Jones. I am the founder and a managing partner at BlackRock Engineering and Technology. I have over 20 years of experience in cybersecurity, and I am honored to be able to bring some of that experience to you. We wanted to start off 2022 with something great. So today, we are launching a multi-part series on security and operational technology, or OT. I am joined today by Keith Walsh from Armis. Keith has over a decade of experience in the OT and Internet of Things, or IoT, arena. We are excited for this series, and we hope to give you a greater understanding of the IoT and OT world. So why is this important? Why is OT and IoT an important subject? If you listen to some of my other podcasts, one of the things that we look at at the world right now is the way that we deliver information. We deliver information through devices. We deliver information through numerous different capabilities within industrial control systems that are now smarter, better, and more connected than ever. So when we look at things like the uh, pipeline and some of the pipeline uh, security breach and ransomware uh, attacks, these are things that do work and use a lot of industrial IoT, where you have sensors and communications and other things out there. But also when we talk about even just simple things like healthcare, right? Healthcare and med tech are being spawned forward by smarter and newer devices that can uh, diagnose, that can monitor, as well as communicate to many different systems and people uh, <clears throat> across both the medical facility as well as across different over-the-air technologies. So OT and IoT, as far as in, uh, Internet of Things and operational technology, are a huge part of our lives each and every day. And so when we look at how do you monitor those and make sure that they stay secure and do not provide another platform for uh, a cyber attack or additional ransomware to be introduced into your, into your life or into your organization, it is important to be able to manage these things through capabilities and solutions like Promarmus. All right, so okay, we can just kind of jump right in. One of the things we talk about right now in the landscape for IoT and, and OT is that, uh, one, it's, it's a reality that's now here, right? When we look at uh, med tech, we look at uh, smart factories at this point, uh, also even kind of the prevalence of, of things like 5G and stuff too, and where that can be applied uh, at the edge for devices and joining your edge now as far as, as an organization. Um, we're here now. So one of the things we wanted to talk about first here today was some of your experience at this point. You know, you've been in this area since 2010. And so as we kind of look at this, you know, look at this topic and exploring it, I'd like to give the listeners just a little bit of background and stuff about you as well as about Armist and the organization, uh, as well as the solution there. So if you would, please. Thanks for having me, Lobature. Certainly uh, looking forward to the conversation. Um, you know, so you know, I, I graduated college back in the in the early 90s and you know I was in upstate New York and I, and I started my first job out of college was you know working with with state and local governments working with critical infrastructure I was at Motorola at the time so you can imagine you know our products and, and services were ingested by by many many folks that uh, were responsible for the critical infrastructure you know in and around our daily lives and that's really what got me 
certainly intrigued with um, with the space that I find myself in now. Um, you know, so I, I doubled back and I got a master's degree in computer information systems. And that's when I really started to, you know, get knee deep inside of what we now call today IoT. Back then, um, you know, there were there were devices that uh, were out in our operational networks. They were out in our industrial control systems networks. But the difference is, quite frankly, um, is they didn't communicate. So if you wanted to go, and you still may see this today, interestingly enough, um, if uh, if there is an event and the local police department or the fire department wants to control the lighting inside of our cities, you might see a police car parked next to a box on a pole, and they're actually manually switching from red to yellow to green to yellow and to red, and they're doing that manually. That type of thing has been around for, for certainly decades. The difference now is that type of device is now communicated from afar, and it's what we call um, an internet of something, an internet of a medical device, internet of things, devices. The difference is these devices now ship with communication modules in it. Um, you know, and we have to thank, quite frankly, um, the internet um, as the, the lever that really created this difference um, that we now see with regards to having to secure these devices. Because in the past, when these devices came off the manufacturing line, there wasn't a concern for someone other than the policeman sitting next to that device from, uh, and controlling it from his car. Now, these devices are still coming off our, our critical, uh, still coming from our OEM manufacturers, and they're now showing up with communication modules in them. Everything from the meters that sit on the side of our house, the traffic lights that are in our intersections, um, all the devices in our electrical grid, our, our gas and water infrastructure, all the way through smart manufacturing and our critical infrastructure, these devices are now communicating not only locally amongst themselves, but they're communicating outside of OT to our IT brethren and they're communicating across the internet. So, you know, that's really got, that's what, what really intrigued me when I first started in the mid 90s with regards to uh, being in the space of industrial things, now we call them the um, the Internet um, of Things, or or our IoT devices, or our medical OT devices, those types of things, um, and that really got me intrigued. So I've, uh, as you mentioned, I've been in the space since 2010. Uh, I began working with our critical infrastructure in and around our cities, our states, our municipalities. Uh, delivering things like smart electric, smart water, smart gas, smart lighting, things of that nature. And that has really mushroomed and ballooned into where you see us today. There are literally billions of these devices all around the world interacting with our lives every day from the cappuccino maker to the devices along the streets and roadways into critical manufacturing. And the interesting thing that led me to Armis was the fact that, um, you know, prior to, I would say, you know, circa 2015, 2016, these solutions were really delivered as a, an island of sorts. If you wanted smart roadway lighting, you bought a solution 
that was inclusive of smart roadway and the securing of those devices was really only specific to that solution that you want. And that solution came with a security posture and that security posture was specific to what that vendor thought was appropriate. Armis, we approached it in a very different fashion. It didn't matter what the device was, what original manufacturer you bought it from, what service company deployed it, um, what type of device it is. To us, it doesn't matter. It's all the same. It's a communicating device and it needs to be secured. And that's what really got me jazzed about Armist. Excellent. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that, uh, you know, that we, that, we, that we say a lot now in this industry is smart, right? Our smart devices and our smart world all around us. Uh, at this point in time, you know, the expectation is that anything that you buy in user device or, or uh, even, you know, uh, let's say an industrial control system, IoT type devices and stuff too from there, Basically, what you're doing is, is you know, to, to explain the smart part, you're adding attributes and capabilities to those devices to one, connect to an ecosystem, to two, also have the ability to sense and respond, uh, since you have the smart device in that case. And then also in, adi in addition to that, then also being able to add other capabilities to bring that device into collaboration with possibly other devices or a central control medium or so from that. And that is unique because it used to be that our, our even our power, our national power grids and stuff used to look at um, used to look at security by essentially isolating, right? Oh, let's isolate mm -hmm. this capability as you as you were speaking of there, right? Let's isolate this capability with a point solution from there that's going to provide uh, this type of you know transmission and control as far as for a power grid, right? Now it's like okay, now you don't have to necessarily go to the substation to make an adjustment. You can make an adjustment now on our power grid from one. Uh, operating center in this case, in which case you have control to those particular transmission, you know, uh, areas. In addition to that, when we talk about things like med tech and uh, additional connected medical devices, um, we're not just talking about medical devices that are just say, just in the hospital itself. You now have medical devices and capabilities in which the physicians uh, that are under care can adjust a, a device that's actually sitting at someone's home, like for mm -hmm. a pacemaker or anything of that sort. And then you also have your traditional devices that are in the hospitals and stuff too, whether you're talking about the, uh, the the beds and stuff that they have, let's say like a hill ROM bed or so from there that you're able to provide nurse call systems and capabilities for, or even things that are doing things like, uh, you know, evaluating your blood or evaluating oxygen levels and stuff too. These are now devices that are becoming smarter and therefore, as you make that connected environment, you do make that more susceptible to several things. One, possible security breaches that could put a patient's life in danger, safety issues and stuff too in the future, but overall also the ability to extract information and stuff too in the future from your regular network or information network and stuff too, if that's not connected appropriately. So when we look at this and growing that ecosystem in that space, you know, it really is important to one, be able to have a good accounting for one, what is on your network uh, and that is on your network as far as your traditional IT and IoT uh, components, but then also you have those specific IoT and um, and, and and other um, you know other protocols and stuff too that are there that are you know communicating from a device level and stuff too that you need to know about, understand, and also be able to receive both intelligence about the about the about those and how those could impact your overall security. Uh, base and, and posture there. And so that's one of the things that I really wanted to uh, mm -hmm. hear about a little bit 
about Armus and how that actually increases that ability to, uh, to, to account, inventory, assess, as well as to be able to provide kind of that enriching report as far as on what is currently on the network, what are some of the associated threats and stuff to that, and uh, you know, how it helps me making those decisions from uh, an OT and IT standpoint. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, the allure to all of this is really the art of what's possible. And when we think about healthcare, right? What's the art of possible in healthcare? Well, take a, you know, take a a, a five-year-old that has type one diabetes, right? And his parents are concerned. Johnny or Susie goes off to school the very first day of kindergarten, first grade, and maybe they've got an insulin pump, right? And they're concerned because maybe their teachers and the peers, maybe the nurse in the school school um, isn't quite up to understanding, you know, what, what, what a drop in blood sugar looks like on a playground. Well, now we have the art of what's possible, which is that pump can talk to a communicating device. Um, we have sensors that can monitor blood sugars. The art of what's possible is giving Johnny or Susie's mother or father a tool, which is simply their iPhone to monitor in real time their son or their daughter's blood sugar as they're running around on the playground. What we can't really give up is the fact that these devices aren't always arriving secure from manufacturers. And there's a quite, there's a, a simple reason why. A device that oftentimes is underpowered, doesn't have a lot of memory. So what does that mean? You know, maybe it struggles with encryption, right? Maybe the keys, um, and the algorithms and the hashes um, are, 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 are struggling to keep up because when you add encryption to these devices, the processor gets, gets choked. So oftentimes, Lovature, what you see today are these devices that are commercially available off the shelf, the cameras, the printers, the sensors, right? They're not necessarily arriving as they should arrive. And what that means is there's a soft underbelly there. And that soft underbelly is maybe it's weak encryption. Maybe it's no encryption at all. Maybe there's there's not enough memory to enforce certain authentication paradigms, things of that nature. Um, so you know, it really behooves the the individual or the organization that's purchasing these devices to really, you know, lay the burden on the manufacturers to deliver to deliver secure devices, um, and then take it upon themselves. Uh, to ensure that these devices and the security that you want to bring them into to ensure that these devices are abiding by whatever compliance and or regulatory uh, you know, methods and, and, and whatnot that, that you want them to. Oh, that's neat. one of the, uh, you know, in my, in my background and stuff, I spend to uh, consult to different medical uh, organizations. And then also in addition to that, work power and utilities, as well as within, you know, our DOD space and also the commercial and, and building automation mm -hmm. and stuff too from there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that we, that we see and that we tend to want to gravitate to as well, you know, as far as both businesses and uh, let's say municipals and hospitals is really being able to increase its capability. And a lot of times we have a lot of innovation now in our industry and in particular in ICS innovation is driving it faster and faster and faster. But also one of the things that seems to lag behind too uh, would be things like regulatory and compliance that actually uh, addresses some of those spaces you're talking about where you have that soft underbelly there where it's, hey, we got to market with our product 
Uh, the product is very good. The utility to our customers is really good. And so high adoption rates are quick and uh, mm -hmm. end up being there. But then the other part is as well, what is it using? How do we track it? What's the security and stuff that's that's behind that? What are we making susceptible you know, from our organization? What are, we, what are we actually introducing to the organization that could uh, be a vulnerability in the future here, both as far as in supply chain and other things uh, that, that, that can affect that? Um, yeah, you know, you're right. It's, it's, yeah. it's completely reactive, mm -hmm. right? You know, Tia, you know, the Gov government puts out TSA directives in, in 2018 and, and recently this past summer, they put out a, a directive for, for oil uh, and pipeline companies and they call the midstreams upstreams and downstreams they put out a directive and it's based upon what happened earlier that year what happened in 2020 it's purely reactionary um so you know i i really think that it you know the onus is on the individual organization to understand that these soft spots are there um, and we shouldn't necessarily just take the easy way out and wait for the directive to come from TSA mm. or Homeland Security. Why, why, you know, why should we wait? Because it's easier. You know, that's one strategy. But, uh, you know, then you get your pipelines turned off. You know, there's another strategy, and that's to be proactive and presuming that these devices are arriving, you know, insecure. And, yep. and in fact, they are, you know, and, and when we talk today about converged networks. We talk about the, the lack of a hardened boundary, the lack of a hardened segment, right? In the past, what we've done is we've simply air gapped, right? Well, we've created a segment um, and maybe we pop a firewall there. Well, the firewall is only as good as the ACLs and it's only as good as the person that's managing them and or writing them or not writing those ACLs. You know, what happens when somebody plugs a laptop in on the south side of a firewall in an OT environment? Well, you just bypass that entire segment or that entire boundary that you tried to create. Um, so now we've got this influx of devices showing up everywhere. You know, you take a, you know, a substation, for example, you know, they're putting cameras up. Where are those cameras coming from? They have back doors. Yeah, they certainly do. So that's why, you know, that's why the government put out FARS 889. So it's, it's, it's sort of, it, it, you know, you talk about a moving target and the moving goalposts, it's endless. It really is. And, uh, that's the challenge, which is there's really no end in sight. So we have to take proactive measures on our own. Yeah, I think one of the things that we had Nicholas Shalane on as well a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, one of the things we talked about, you know, pretty extensively was zero trust, right? The application of zero trust. And one of the things I wanted to just kind of uh, have you go over is, where does Armis fit as far as in being able to apply really some of the zero trust uh, capabilities as well as the, the model and stuff too within an environment? And what role does that play in there from an Armis standpoint for our, you know, uh, for, you know, some of our, you know, C-suite viewers here as well as some of our folks that are going to be uh, from really backgrounds that uh, are in things like uh, uh, ICS or, um, you know, OT, you know, networks and control from there. Uh, would you give me kind of an overview of that and how that fits? Yeah, you know, so Forrester, you know, way back when came up with this concept of zero trust and, and, and the zero trust framework is never trust, always verify, which is a, a, a great framework to follow. Um, and that really sort of came around with with the NAC, right? The NAC was there, the network access control, the NAC was there to ensure that authentication was there 
uh, to allow and to challenge those devices that were getting accepted into the network. Um, you know, we weren't trusting those connections. Let's verify and continue to verify um, the authenticity of that user or that device. That's the concept of zero trust, right? Never trust, always verify. Um, Armis actually takes that concept one step further, right? Armis has the ability, whether it's a wired device, a wired device, to monitor every single attempt a device undergoes trying to attach to a wired or a wireless network. What does that look like in, 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 in real life? It's a wireless device trying to communicate to a wireless access point, some sort of wireless infrastructure. It's a wired device that's plugging in ethernet into a switch. Um, the concept of zero trust is I don't trust that device and I always wanna continually verify if that device is an authorized device. Armis does just that because we see those initial requests for connection into a wired or a wireless device being made, right? So we can challenge that device. We can knock those devices off. We can stick those devices in a quarantined VLAN, right? But then, and that's the traditional zero trust model. And, and Armis certainly plays in that model because we can challenge those devices. But secondarily, what is unique to that original concept of zero trust, which oftentimes is where that knack came into play. Armis takes it one step further, and this is the concept of always verify, right? So when that device is accepted into the network, when Armis is installed into this wired or wireless network, we actually see every single one of these connections, connection attempts um, and successful connections made as that device is communicating across the network. So a device is presented to the network, is accepted into the network. It's been, it's been um, you know, trusted by a source. But now what Armis does is we continue to um, verify the activities that that device is engaging within that network. So, you know, you, you've got a device that, uh, you know, maybe plugs into the OT side of the house or plugs into a hospital. And all of a sudden, you know, we, we see that, um, okay, it's been identified as a Windows 10 machine. It's running this version of, of uh, application, this version of software and firmware. Um, we, 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 we either choose to accept this device in our network or not. If we choose to accept it in the network, Armis then monitors every single connection that that device makes. Right, so when that device begins to connect to laterally other, you know, other machines, other devices, other servers, um, you know, looking to understand the landscape of the environment that it's been plugged into, the the part about the always verify that Armistice delivers is not only verifying the device and the authenticity of that device, but let me verify the connections that it's making. Is this an authorized connection? Is that device allowed to connect to that device? Is this handheld or tablet or laptop allowed to connect to that MRI? Has it ever connected before? Is it authorized to connect? Has that IP address or that Mac of that device been whitelisted to connect to that MRI? Same thing on the OT side of the house. Why is that laptop or that workstation or that server or whatever it may be is it whitelisted to connect to that PLC, right? Because there's a piece of critical infrastructure there. So when, when Armis 
thinks about zero trust, we certainly abide by the, the origins of zero trust, never trust, always verify, but we continually monitor every single connection that device makes. And the moment that device steps out of profile of what uh, a, uh, an authorized device is allowed to do, we can immediately knock that device off the network um, as an extreme or just simply alert on it. So we love the whole model of zero trust. Think it's absolutely the best way to approach the network. Um, we approach it as zero trust plus, which is the, the active real-time and continuous monitoring of every connection that device makes in an effort to continually verify its authenticity. So when we look at this, look at RMS and the stack there, you know, we, we, we talked about several things, you know, network access controls. I worked with a lot of like Cisco ICE and then also, mm -hmm. you know, Forescout and, and those components there. Now, how does RMS actually one, identify the devices. Does it need a supplicant, like a 802.x component from there? Or how does it actually identify the device and stuff on there? Or what, is, what are the multiple methods that are being used to really kind of discover those devices? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. Um, and, and interestingly enough, it's probably one of the, 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 the singular most common question we get asked, which is, how can you do this? Um, so interesting to note uh, upfront that Armist does this without any agents on machines. I, you know, we, we kind of think and we hear from our customers that they're tired of deploying agents, not only because of the level of effort that it takes to deploy an agent, but also what happens if you miss a device and you got a gap, right? So whatever the reason happens to be, uh, we find that that folks are coming to Armist saying they don't want agents in, in any vertical. So then they're like, well, how do you do this? So Armist picks up this traffic as it is crossing the wired or the wireless network in our airspace passively. And we do this a couple of different ways. Number one, uh, which is uh, an, one of the most common ways is simply by a span port on a busy switch, a core switch, a distribution switch, if it's in OT, um, maybe it's industrial switches that are front ending critical processes. Wherever the switches happen to reside, the switch needs to follow the use case. The use case needs to follow uh, what you want to solve for. So the, the, the lowest component, the lowest common denominator is the switch. And we can pull that traffic passively off of that span port on that switch or a tap. Lots of our customers already have taps um, because they understand the value of seeing real-time data as it's crossing the network. So that's how we pull wired traffic as it's crossing the wired network. We also, via a, um, an SSH connection into a wireless LAN controller, can pull all the wireless traffic. So those two main methods, wireless via the span, I'm sorry, wired by the span, wireless via the SSH into the wireless LAN controller, allows us to pull all of that real-time traffic into an Armis, we call it a collector. Right, it's a piece of hardware that met, that um, that houses our software. We're, we're a software solution, not a hardware solution. So our software can live in hardware of any sorts. Hardware that we provide, hardware that our customers provide. Uh, it could also be a VM that our customers place on uh, within their own infrastructure. We're just looking for the span to get their real-time wire traffic, the SSH connection to the wireless LAN controller to get the wireless traffic. And what we're doing at that point is we're seeing all traffic, all connections, 
um, as it crosses um, both the wired and the wireless network. And then we do something extremely unique. And that is, we've got about, I don't know, over a hundred integrations with existing infrastructure that all of our customers run, the Splunks of the world, the McAfee's, the Kaspersky's, the Sophos's, the Jamps of the world, the, the um, CMDB's of the world with ServiceNow, um, the scanners like Tenable, Qualys. We have all of these pre-built integrations that tell us an incredible amount of information about those devices that those devices never put over the wire. Because if you think about how this works, when Armis is sitting there off a span port, catching the wire traffic, off the wireless LAN controller, catching the wireless traffic, the only thing we're able to catalog is information that those devices are putting on the wire. Well, what about all the information those devices don't put on the wire, right? So we're actually able to ingest all of that information from pre-built integrations into existing platforms that our customers already run. So when you hop into an Armist console, if you were to simply look at the traffic that we can glean via the SPAN or the wireless LAN controller, it's a wealth of information. Everything from obviously IP and Mac, but we'll see things like operating systems, firmware, applications. We'll see things like, um, like build numbers and, and BIOS versions. Um, within those machines and those applications and those those operating systems on those devices. But what about all the traffic that those devices don't put on the wire? What about all the applications that reside within those machines that don't generate traffic, but is extremely important? Maybe there's critical vulnerabilities, right? I mean, we all went through Log4j and Log4Shell. Uh, what about all those um, those Apache vulnerabilities that, res you know, those Java vulnerabilities that reside everywhere across our infrastructure, but those applications aren't necessarily putting the fingerprints of that vulnerability out on the wire. We're able to pick that up through pre-existing products that you already have. And then Armis then can provide that single pane of glass. So you can go to Armis and say, tell me about all my, my log for shell vulnerabilities across my entire infrastructure. Click of a mouse, bang. There's all my devices that are vulnerable to that particular software flaw. So those are the three main ways we ingest data. Span off the switch for the wired, SSH off the wireless LAN controller for the wireless traffic, and then uh, pre-built integrations into the existing infrastructure to ingest and enrich everything that we don't see, but you see it. And kind of with that, with that use case in mind, right? And then we kind of have like your embracing convergence. Our listenership, we've got folks that are CISOs, CIOs as well within these and um, folks that are looking for solutions, but, you know, we've all gone through the process and stuff too of being able to of kind of evaluating solutions, going, okay, it meets maybe half of what our requirements and stuff are, uh, and especially in this space. Um, could you kind of walk me through, let's say, a, 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 a CISO or, or OT leader, OT security leader who's saying, you know what? I really need to put together a capability on an enterprise level in multiple um, multiple facilities to be able to really get our arms around our OT devices that are there that we don't we're not able to catch on our, our traditional devices. So, 
Um, tell me as far as kind of the process of, of really walking down the line of one, uh, installing Armis or being able to integrate Armis, being able to take care of those multiple uh, uh, facilities around the world, uh, as well as being able to bring that information back to uh, typically the, you know, the, uh, the, the other tools and capabilities that an organization has and how it helps enable better decision-making and stuff too for enhancing that security posture. Would you be able to just kind of walk us down that line? Yeah, yeah, so certainly. So, you know, I, I think what we're, we're, we're getting at is something that's called, you know, the cyber journey. And, and Gartner uh, released a report back in, uh, I guess about maybe, maybe 10 or 10 months ago or so, 10, 11 months ago, um, called the, um, you know, embracing convergence, the, the, the cyber, the OT cyber journey. And it had multiple phases. And it's, it's interesting because as I, as I talk with really any CISO, any CIO, um, that's responsible for whether it be healthcare or hospitals, whether it be critical manufacturing, whether it be pipelines, whether it be our utilities or just straight up IT, right? Um, it's interesting that the cyber journey and the phases of the cyber journey, they're all extremely similar, similar across all of them. And that is, where am I today? And where am I going to get, where do I need to get to, to create a safe and secure environment. And it starts with Gartner termed it the awareness phase. Um, so if you're sitting in the seat of the CIO and you're in this phase one of awareness, it's typically because you've either had a breach yourself or there's a peer business of yours that's had a breach or maybe it's regulatory. The awareness phase occurs either because you're told to do something or because something happened. Maybe it happened to you. Maybe it happened to a peer of yours or a like business. And it's typically always sponsored by the board or the C-suite or the CXO of sorts, right? They're the ones that um, they're either receiving that directive or they've said, you know what? We really need to address these threats and these risks because maybe our stock price is potentially um, on the line, and, and and we see this unfortunately happen all the time with ransomware and things of that nature. You know, the the, the new threat landscape today is there be, because folks want cash. They don't necessarily want to turn off, you know, a substation. They want the cash, um, you know, and then they take it public, and then all of a sudden there's people shorting the stock. Stock goes down, so they make money twofold, right? They make money from the ransomware, and they make money because they've shorted the stock. So that's what today's uh, you know, the, the adversaries today are looking for, they're looking for cash. Um, so that's driving the sponsorship of phase one, which is the board or, or, or the C-suite saying, okay, let me take a look at a product like Armis. And that leads to phase two. And, and there's six of these phases that lead a customer or lead a, you know, any, any prospect down this cyber journey, Armis, does not need the requirement to deploy agents. We just sit passively on the span port. So in about 30 minutes of time, um, our, our engagements really are up and running in a fraction of a day. And then within a day's time, they immediately begin to see the cascading catalog 
of all wired and wireless devices that happen to be communicating across their network. So we sit in the network for a couple of weeks, maybe a month. And I will tell you, there's been some instances where six or eight hours into sitting on that span port with that wireless LAN controller connection, 150, 200,000 quarter million devices automatically start filling the catalog. Not only, hey, what's that device? It's a Windows, it's a Dell running Windows. It's got Chrome 57 on it, but also, hey, that's a Rockwell PLC. So as these devices cascade in, hardware, full genetics of the hardware, full genetics of the software, and all the connections that it's making, and that is what leads to Gartner's phase three, which is the oh wow moment, right? I call it something else, um, but Gartner calls it the oh wow moment that, that arises and it inevitably is. I didn't know we had that device. Why is that device communicating across that boundary? That's the oh wow moment that uh, is really eye-opening. And, uh, and, and it, it inevitably always occurs and there's not once you know there's not one deployment uh that goes by where we don't see something that is absolutely shocking to our customers and prospects um and then that obviously that uh, oh wow moment leads to you know conversation around procurement um you know and then eventually it's phase six which is the, the optimization of the deployment but it's uh it's interesting how these play out um and it, it, and again just to go back to the top it all starts with that one common use case which is Tell me everything I've got, wired and wireless. Tell me what it's doing. And then from there, um, oftentimes a unique case in every instance, but it always leads to that, oh, wow, this is not good. I need to address this. Yeah, I've been a part of uh, a number of those types of uh, um, <laughs> those types of uh, proof of concepts and, you know, inevitably even having the con proof of concepts stop to to go into uh, kind of the acquisition and procurement process because of just the you know general lack of visibility that's been there and then the visibility that comes out of that. Uh, now, one of the biggest questions that I know that uh, that folks will always have is look, they, you know, how do you guys deal with unknown when you see a device, but then you go, you know what, it's an unknown device because we don't really have a signature in any of our third party things or whichever. And how do you guys help in that, in that instance there where you know, you, you go on that discovery and you go, hey, this is just an unknown device at this point. We're not able to fingerprint our OS or, or anything from that. Uh, when those when those instances happen, how do you guys approach that? Well, we will immediately identify it as an unknown device. And then Armis has dozens of data analysts that then crack into that device, its unique identifiers and its software our entire ecosystem of customers will then inherit the knowledge that we now have over that device that you were initially plugged in that was unique to Armis. So it's 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 sort of an inheritance type of relationship, right? Everybody inherits all the information we know about everybody else's devices. Now they don't inherit the you know the information about those devices. In other words, it's all anonymized, right? So there is there's no way for customer B to see what customer A is running. Everybody inherits all that information across those 1 billion devices. When we see a device we've never seen and we crack into it and identify it and its software and its applications, all of our customers then inherit that information um, for it's available to everyone.
Excellent. And then um, on this journey, when we look at the, the kind of look at the overall planning of organizations, you know, around this, um, and I'll just be honest, most of our, a lot of our organizations are still very much so behind in this area. And I can, I think they continue to struggle with uh, really identifying, you know, what's our roadmap ahead for this discovery. And they had a hard time figuring out the first place to start when they just said, you know, uh, we've acquired organizations over the past 10 years, you know, not really about over the past 20 years. We've let some parts of that kind of run themselves from an IT standpoint and other parts of it just kind of said, you know, okay, go ahead and you guys go ahead and, you know, go for kind of the bleeding edge and stuff from there. Now, RMS and from, from your end, when you guys encounter that particular customer, right, in that case, and they have reservations because they've seen demonstration after demonstration and they've never really kind of finished the job there. Um, uh, how have you guys really kind of helped those customers in the, in the past as far as getting them to really a point where, well, we can help and discover, but the next part of that is really kind of walking through uh, the process of how to integrate the rest of their organization with you. Can you give me just kind of a, an example of how you've, how you've walked through that with, uh, with, an or, with an organization and their leadership? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, interestingly enough, I guess it was about maybe, maybe nine or 10 months ago, um, I started on a, a, a journey with a company down in South Florida who, believe it or not, acquired 18 to 20 companies a year. And they were concerned with their ability to keep up with the risk posture and profile of all these companies that they're acquiring, right? So what they would typically do is they would fly out two or three guys with a couple of laptops and they would actually go out to these 18 to 20 acquisitions a year. They would just go state to state to state across the calendar and they would manually catalog and inventory the devices and all the software because they didn't necessarily trust the information that was getting sent to them pre-acquisition, right? So they didn't necessarily want to inherit live these issues, they wanted to inherit an environment where they already understood what was there. So in came Armis and the challenge that they offered up to us was, we've got 18 to 20 acquisitions a year, right? We're looking for a product that at a very quick moment's notice, right? We can drop ship a solution. They didn't know what the solution was, but within you know, a week to 10 days, they want a full catalog of everything that's there, but, but better yet, all the risks, vulnerabilities, and threats, because they didn't necessarily want to inherit, you know, a bunch of conficker worms crawling over somebody's IT or OT network that the moment that they now plug in and integrate that company into their existing infrastructure, those viruses are going to perpetuate laterally across their infrastructure. So their challenge was, we wanna know what's there before we create that connection to bring them fully on board. And that's exactly the use case that they brought Armis in for. So now what they do is they drop ship an Armis appliance um, to these 18 to 20 acquisitions a year. And within a week's time, they have a full inventory of all the devices, the genetics of those devices, the software, the risks, the vulnerabilities, the threats um, that that environment is going to pose the moment that they plug in 
uh, so they can potentially either segment, remove devices off the network, do some patching before they finish that integration point because they want to isolate what is potentially going awry at a facility that they're acquiring um, before they finish that integration into their existing infrastructure. So a really interesting use case that, uh, that, that we can solve for, which is all around M&A. All right, man. No, this was fantastic. Thank you for the time today uh, on this, uh, getting a little bit more, you know, uh, uh, a, a lot more insight into what the capabilities are from Armis. And, you know, the other part is, is, is bringing some context as well, as far as on just your the approach to security in our ITOT and IOT medical space uh, on that. So I definitely appreciate that. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. Well, that's all for this episode of The Lojo Show. Thank you to Keith for coming on and sharing some of his extensive knowledge with us. We look forward to the next four episodes with him. If you have any questions for myself or Keith, please reach out to us on social media or on our podcast website, thelojoshow.buzzsprout.com. We are in the top 50% of podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate each and every one of you. Almost half of our listeners are local to our area. If you are interested in coming on the show, send us a message. We would love to hear from you. With that, we will say goodbye, have a great week, happy new year, stay safe and stay secure.